It is Thursday, November 19th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Week 11 Preview Edition of the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Small. And Jared, we get to start out this week with a pretty good-looking one on Thursday night. The Arizona Cardinals at the Seattle Seahawks. Seahawks by three. That's actually down a point and a half from where it opened. Over-under is 56 and a half. That's a half point shy of the week's high for Chiefs Raiders. I got to say, though, if I were betting on it, I would bet on more points from this game. Yeah, there is some rain in the forecast tonight. doesn't look like the wind's going to be too bad, though, so I don't think it'll be anything that actually impacts scoring here. Yeah, I would definitely not be betting the under. Um, and you're you know, really starting all the usual guys from this game. I, mean, I guess the, the questions on the Cardinal side would be in the backfield. Um, you know, Last week, Kenny and Drake returns. Drake and Edmonds basically split snaps down the middle, and really they, they were back in the roles we had seen them playing. Drake handling most of the carries, outcarried Edmonds 16 to 8, but Drake got just one target. Chase Edmonds with the three targets. Um, you know, Seattle's pretty solid against the run, obviously horrible against the pass. Cardinals might be trailing here. So, it, you know, it sets up as more of a Chase Edmonds game. I wouldn't be surprised if he outscores Drake, especially in PPR, even if, you know, Drake's going to outcarry him. Yeah, I'm playing Edmonds over Drake and PPR if I have both backs. What about you? I'd have to go back and look at what our projections say. Um, but, you know, in the last meeting, Edmonds caught seven passes. That was the game Drake left early, but he he left like in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Um, he's just not doing anything in the passing game. So, again, if they fall behind, and I do like Seattle to win this game tonight. So I think Arizona will be playing from behind. So, yeah, I, uh, you know, Edmonds over Drake, definitely not crazy. Uh, it was a points bonanza back in week seven, the overtime win for the Cardinals, 37-34 in that game. Both teams went over 500 yards in that game. So, I mean, that's why you're pretty much starting anybody that's in consideration. Like you said, the the backfield's really the only one that you have to kind of figure out on the Arizona side. On the Seattle side, I said Tuesday I wasn't comfy with Russell Wilson at number two in the QB rankings when we were setting up our, our week 11 rankings, but uh, that was too much recency bias on my part. Um, I had just read you know, several tweets, including one from you, Jared, about – how Russell Wilson's production had come down in recent games after a torrid start. But their game against the Rams last weekend was by far his worst of the season so far. It was the first time all year that he's thrown fewer than two touchdown passes and just the second game all season that he's account that he's failed to account for at least three total touchdowns. Yeah, he's cooled off over the last five games as far as efficiency stuff and even even his touchdown rate. But um, he had finished top nine um, in fantasy points among quarterbacks in those first four you know, the, the previous four games prior to last week. Last week was really his first you know, fantasy dud of the season. Obviously had a big game against the Cardinals in the first one. I saw a stat from uh, Next Gen Stats. Russell Wilson is now 2-4 and four career when defenses play zone coverage on 75-plus percent of his pass attempts. The Cardinals are one of the man-heaviest uh, defenses in the NFL. So you know, I, I fully expect Russ to bounce back tonight. Uh, you got to knock DK Metcalf after he only caught – two balls for 23 yards on five targets in the first meeting with Arizona, but I'm still going to bet on him bouncing back over repeating a game like that. So I, you know, I I would have him lower than I would most weeks in our rankings, but I'm not taking DK Metcalf out of my starting lineup. Even last week when the Rams shut him down, he barely missed a 47, what would have been a 47 yard touchdown catch where he beat Jalen Ramsey on a deep ball. Yeah, he had two quiet games against the Cardinals last year, too. Um, but I, that just seems like a small sample blip to me. Like, you know, I'm not worried about Patrick Peterson as a matchup for DK Metcalf. And we have Tyler Lockett dealing with this knee sprain. It sounds like he's going to play. I'm still starting Tyler Lockett in season long. But, you know, that, that could push some more action to, to DK Metcalf. 
And I mean, last year was a different DK Metcalf than we have this year. He showed flashes, but this year, I mean, he's becoming a force. So I, w- I would not weigh last year too much on deciding him either. The backfield in, in Seattle has some interest as well. Carlos Hyde is off the injury report after a full Wednesday practice. So it looks like he'll be playing. Chris Carson's questionable. So we're going to have to wait and see on him until closer to game time. Limited Wednesday. So he's at least getting closer. If Carson's back, I would use him. It's certainly not a comfy spot to use. I guess either of them. If Carson's out, then I guess Carlos Hyde is more interesting than I'm probably giving him credit for. Yeah, and Adam Schefter reported that um, Carson's unlikely to play tonight. So I'm expecting it to be Hyde, Alex Collins, and DJ Dallas in the backfield. Travis Homer is going to miss, too, with his hand injury. Now, I, I would guess Hyde's the lead ball carrier. Collins might mix in, and I think DJ Dallas is still you know, probably the passing down back. So not, not a great spot. If you have to use one of them, it'd definitely be Hyde. But you know, I'd consider him like an RB3 or flex play. Yeah, I agree with that. I would not expect that Alex Collins will get touches ahead of him. I think Alex Collins was kind of a, a necessity move last week, but, you know, we'll see. Some crazy things happen in the NFL at times. I would also avoid Seattle tight ends. Greg Olson, Will Disley, Jacob Hollister split seven targets against the Rams last week. Yeah, Olson was at least back in the lead role as far as routes running. He ran a route on 66% of the dropbacks. But like you said, the targets were still split. Arizona's been, you know, a decent matchup not a great matchup for tight ends this season so you know it, it, it'd be a desperation play i would still go olsen at this point if i'm you know picking between them maybe if you're in a dfs showdown but um, definitely not a safe situation philadelphia eagles at cleveland browns browns by three and a half over under 47 and a half the first thing we have to watch for here is whether we're finally <laughs> going to get a climate that you can play football in because the past two browns games god has spent telling us that we need to stop playing football in Cleveland. Uh, this week, at least, the current forecast, 40 degrees, possible light rain, but barely any wind in the forecast. We don't even know what the Browns' Odell beckham offense looks like because you know both games have been in the wind. Jarvis Landry has seen 36% of Cleveland's targets in those two games. You know, he hasn't done a whole lot, again, because of the conditions. But um, you know, against a beatable Eagles secondary, especially in the slot, Landry shouldn't see a whole lot of Darius Slay. I think Jarvis Landry is is a better start this week than his numbers over the last two games would indicate. Yeah, Austin Hooper has also tied Landry for the team lead. He tied him for the team lead in in routes run last week in Hooper's return from an appendectomy. Uh, Ran around on 83% of Baker Mayfield's dropbacks. So if you just look at the the raw numbers, it looks like Hooper didn't play that big a role and doesn't have that much upside. But I think when you combine – how much he actually did run pass routes and the matchup with the Eagles this week. I think Austin Hooper is an attractive fantasy play. Yeah, and remember he had had five catches in three straight games p- prior to the appendectomy. Um, yeah, again, you know, throw out last week's game in the wind. And the Eagles, as you mentioned, 31st in adjusted points to tight end. So I, I think Hooper is like an easy top eight tight end play this week. Yeah. On the other side, it should be a strong matchup for Carson Wentz. The Browns have allowed four quarterbacks to throw three-plus touchdown passes uh, and as we mentioned, the weather kept the past two opponents from doing anything. So we haven't seen in a while what quarterbacks do against Cleveland. Three straight and four on the season have topped 30 rushing yards as well against the Browns. So 34 yards from Joe Burrow, 41 rushing yards from Derek Carr. So Carson Wentz could exploit that area as well. There's upside, but he was so bad against the Cowboys and then just kind of blah against the Giants last week that you just can't feel comfortable starting Carson Wentz. I mean, he, he's still been more bad than good throughout the season. Like the fantasy numbers have been there at times with the rushing. Maybe that comes back. He, you, you can't feel safe with Carson Wentz. But like you said, the matchup 
is good. The weapons are finally healthy. Maybe Zach Ertz is even back this week. I don't know if that's a, a good thing or, or a bad thing, but you know, at least he has Jalen Rager back out there, Dallas Goddard. So, you know, there's upside for Wentz to, you know, finish top 12 as he has, you know, a few times, even over the past month. But you know, we've also seen the downside. The last two weeks he's finished quarterback 22 and quarterback 24. Yeah. Yeah. So if you don't have a comfy, strong starter, then you can use Carson Wentz, but it's, it's not attractive right now. Miles Sanders is an obvious starter, at least bad luck last week when he lost touchdown runs to Boston Scott and Corey Clement in that game against the Giants, but he's the lead guy. So it's not like they took him out for goal line touches for the others, especially Boston Scott. His came from long distance. Um, You mentioned Jalen Rager's back. He led the team in routes run last week against the Giants. Four catches for 47 yards on seven targets. I think he's an upside wide receiver four. I think he and Travis Fulgham are in pretty similar range at this point. Yeah, Rager led the Eagles with those seven targets and 19% target share. Travis Fulgham had, you know, obviously a dud last week. He still ran a route on 84% of Carson Wentz's dropback. So, you know, he didn't lose his starting spot to Alshon Jeffrey. He did see just five targets, a 13.5% target share. You know, that, that's like half of what he had been seeing. Um, so I think as we ex- expected, he's not going to see the type of volume he was seeing when all those guys were hurt. But he, he is still, you know, basically a full-time player in this passing game. So I, th- I think Fulgham's still in play as a wide receiver three. Mm-hmm. Not a pushover matchup for either of the guys in coverage, by the way. Denzel Ward's played well for the Browns, you know, every year, not just this year. And, and Terrence Mitchell has also played solidly this year. None of those guys look like they're headed for a shadow matchup with one of those corners. So they'll all move around. Not a great spot, but also not a, a terrible spot if Carson Wentz actually puts together a decent game. Dallas Goddard's usage was good again against the Giants. The numbers don't tell you. The playing time, though, and the routes were both up. He even left that game briefly with an injury in the second quarter. I think that helped Richard Rodgers bump up his playing time and get some targets, but it's still Goddard leading the way, and we're going to have to watch to see if and when Zach Ertz is back in the picture. Yeah, that was annoying last week, you know, being heavily invested in Goddard and DFS, seeing Richard Rodgers actually outproduce him. And Rodgers did see five targets. Dallas Goddard saw six, but Goddard ran her out on 84% of the dropbacks. Like you said, that was probably even lower because he did miss time for that concussion check. Uh, Richard Rodgers ran her out on just 26% of the dropbacks. We'll, we'll see if Ertz is back, but even in the first couple of weeks of the season with Ertz in there, Goddard was seeing good volume. So I, I feel good about starting Goddard again this week, even if Ertz is back. Yeah, the return of Ertz could be good for Carson Wentz. I mean, the offense is obviously going to be at its best when it has all of those guys available, Jalen Rager, Zach Ertz, Dallas Goddard, even if we haven't seen everybody playing particularly well that can only help the quarterback, especially those two tight ends who he had for all of last year as well. I think both defenses are certainly in play for this one, at least. For sure, yep. Falcons at Saints. Saints by five, over under 50. The line seems a little bit high in the Saints' favor to me given that Drew Brees is out for this game. The Falcons have won three of their past four games by seven-plus points with wins over the Broncos, Panthers, and Vikings in that span. I think this one's going to be closer than that five-point line suggests. Yeah, I mean, Jameis Winston will probably do you know whatever he can to make this game close. <laughs> exactly. And the Saints only managed 237 total yards last week against the 49ers. So um, on the Saints' side, Alvin Kamara is obvious. Michael Thomas, frustrating last week, just two catches for 27 yards on seven targets. The playing time was up, though, versus his return game. Still short of normal, so there's still even upside in that area. And he's off the injury report for this week, which has to be a positive for him. Yeah, and Jameis Winston targeted uh, Thomas on five of his 10 passes last week. So, you know, it's, it seems like Jameis is at least smart enough to know where he should be going with the ball. You know, f- five of Winston's targets went to Thomas and three of them went to Alvin Kamara. 
And he had the LASIK surgery, so you know that he wasn't trying to throw it to the defense and just accidentally getting Thomas. Right, right. <laughs> John Payton, of course, still playing coy with announcing the starting QB. But last week's game, uh, last week's game was still in question when Drew Brees left with his injury. They were down, they were up just 17-10 at the half, and then Jameis Winston opened the second half. So, you know, he could say that Winston went in because he spends every week working as a quarterback while Taysom Hill is playing Cordell Stewart. But I think we're all expecting Jameis Winston to start this game, right? Definitely. Um, I think it was ESPN's Mike Triplett, the you know the Saints guy at ESPN, talking about just how you know they, they would have to change the entire offense to, to use Taysom Hill. You know, it would be more of like a Tim Tebow esque offense. So, you know, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I do think Hill might play a bit more. You know, they might do some more of that gadget stuff. So, man, Winston's a tough call this week, and the matchup obviously makes it tougher. Atlanta dead last in adjusted points allowed quarterbacks I just I don't know again I don't know how much we're going to see Taysom Hill and how much Winston's going to be off the field I don't know if we're going to get you know 2019 Jameis Winston where he's trucking it all over the yard which is kind of what we want or if you know the, the, if the Saints and Sean Payton are going to sort, sort of rein him in and have him playing more like Drew Brees or even like how you know Teddy Bridgewater played last year so just a, a lot of questions here. Um, he's not a safe fantasy play but there's definitely upside because we, we you know we saw it last year and again this matchup is awesome. I mean, the key difference here versus last year's Bucks is that the Saints already run it on about 44% of offensive plays. I would assume that as long as the game is going their way, they will try to build on that and even get closer to 50%, whereas last year's Bucks were among the pass heaviest in the league. So I, I think that, that we'll get less passing volume than we got from Winston last year. It would also seem to make sense for them to kind of leverage his ability to throw further downfield. I'm not sure how how accurate he is with the deep ball though. So probably shorter range than what we got with the bucks, especially when you consider that there's no Mike Evans on this team and no Chris Godwin for that matter, I guess Michael Thomas back healthy is back to that level at least. So it'll be interesting. I think Winston is in the streaming question. Like he's a a consideration there for sure. He's around our top 12. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't, go too crazy like I wouldn't go get Jameis Winston to start over Aaron Rodgers just because yeah. I don't like Rodgers's matchup this week definitely agree Jared Cook is uh, a player worth talking about here because I don't think there's a whole lot worth talking about at wide receiver for the Saints in this one but he gets a ceiling matchup with the Falcons who have given up a lot of points to tight ends but he has been a floor play this year just two games so far of more than three catches five games of two catches or fewer. He's played just 36% of the snaps each of the past two games, but at least when he's been on the field, it's to catch passes. 54% route rate in week nine, 65.5% last week. So he's been up and down in that category, but mostly decently up. Despite a 19% touchdown rate for the season, he's still just tight end 16 in PPR points per game. Yeah, he's definitely a touchdown or bust guy. Like you said, you know, not great playing time. He only has five targets over the last two weeks with Michael Thomas back. But, I mean, Atlanta's basically what, to tight end what Seattle is to wide receivers. Atlanta, like you said, dead last in adjusted points allowed to tight ends, providing a 73% scoring boost to the position. And you have that 28-point implied total for the Saints, one of the highest on the week. So I, I just think Cook is a decent touchdown bat, you know, among the guys where, you know, you can't count on anything more than like three or four targets. Yeah, Cook for me is a guy that you can use if you don't have something that looks better, but I wouldn't go out of my way to start Cook over somebody that's that's decent. I mean, we'll we'll get to some more tight ends that I would probably start over him that Jared might not. Yeah, I mean, not not much looks uh, decent at tight ends. So, I mean, that's the only reason Cook is as high as he is in the rankings. Cook is at least top 10 among tight ends in both red zone and end zone targets on the season, which is certainly key for his value. Yep. 
On the Falcons side, let me start by saying the Falcons website has ranked among the worst in the league this year in updating the injury report. If you click over there this morning, it was still stuck on Wednesday of week nine. So I don't know yet by looking at the Falcons website, who's playing for the Falcons in week nine, which was two weeks ago, of course. Uh, In reality, Calvin Ridley was limited on Wednesday. So it's looking like he might return for us this week. Yeah, hot, hot tip for you. They don't update that injury report page. They do like a separate article that you have to like find yeah. on the website that like shows, you know, what the practice participation was. So they make it a little tough. Um, yeah, Ridley, interim head coach Raheem Morris admitted on Monday that Ridley's still uncertain for this game. The fact that he, you know, was limited on Wednesday. Um, he has a chance, but if you're a Ridley owner, I would, you know, at least have another option in place because, you know, he's, I'd say he's 50 50 at this point. Yeah. I have to remind myself about the injury report thing every week. I go to the page at first and I'm like, ah, oh, Falcons, you got me again. And I have to go search <laughs> for that article every single day. Anyway, besides Calvin Ridley, who will watch, if Ridley's out, Alameda Zacchaeus was the fill in last time out and produced. Um, and it will be a decent matchup for him. I certainly wouldn't go out of my way to play him. Otherwise, it's an upside spot for the obvious pass catchers. And that includes Hayden Hurst who I think sits a little too low in our rankings at number eight, six, five, and seven catches over the past three games, seven plus targets in each of those games, four plus catches and over 50 yards receiving in four straight and six of his nine games for the year. He's tied for fourth among tight ends in receptions for the season. Yeah. He's become one of the, one of the better volume bets at tight end. Um, It's a, Tougher matchup. Football Outsider says the Saints eighth in tight end coverage. They're 18th in adjusted points allowed to the position. So I guess, you know, that's probably why he's not higher in the rankings. But you know, as far as floor goes, you know, Hurst has become one of the safer bets at the position. Mm-hmm. It's a negative spot for Todd Gurley, which could help the passing volume. Saints have allowed the second fewest PPR points per game, two running backs. Uh, they're tied for the fewest rushing touchdowns allowed to the position. It's going to be tough for most fantasy owners to find two better starting bets than, than Todd Gurley this week. But among the guys that might be options, I would start Kalen Balaj, which almost makes me puke, Damon Harris, Damian Harris, and Duke Johnson over Todd Gurley this week. Yeah, I'm curious to see if they reduce his role at all coming out of the bye. Because he, you know, Gurley hasn't reached three yards per carry in any of his last four games. Now. He just hasn't been effective. He's been living on the touchdowns, as you mentioned, nine rushing touchdowns through nine games for Gurley. You know, he is top six in the NFL in both carries inside the 10 and five yard line. So that, you know, the touchdowns aren't totally fluky, but if he, if he doesn't score, especially in this matchup against a saint, a tough saints run defense, he's, he's, he's going to hurt you. Yeah. If Todd Gurley had the same profile with just about any other, any other offense in the league, he would be like running back 30 in our rankings right now. He would be Jonathan Taylor basically. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Cincinnati Bengals at Washington. It's a pick them. It's an over under 46 and a half. Washington has remained tougher than than we expected against pass uh, against uh, pass offenses, but it turns up as a neutral matchup by our strength of schedule formula this week. So Joe Burrow does make it into our top twelve for the week, and T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd have been weekly starters. Yeah, Washington just gave up the three touchdown game to Matt Stafford, two hundred seventy six yards. You know, one of Stafford's best fantasy games of the season. Uh, Washington down to seventeenth in adjusted fantasy points allowed quarterbacks and the nice thing about Burroughs you just you, you like know you're going to get 40 pass attempts out of him like Cincinnati is so pass heavy um, I expect that to continue here so yeah I think Burroughs a, a pretty safe play yeah and T Higgins Tyler Boyd good luck taking them out of your uh, lineup yeah. if you think about doing that not so interested in AJ Green though who has tailed off a little bit and then you know the matchup is still there's some challenge to it with the cornerbacks on the Washington side yeah, I was going to say Boyd has the easily the best matchup in the slot against Jimmy Moreland. Um, Ronald Darby and Kendall Fuller on the outside have both been really good this season. So, you know, if you're picking between them, I, I do like Boyd 
best among these guys this week. And yeah, AJ Green's been like every time like I I, I believed in him to start the season. I kind of hopped off after the ugly start, then he got going for a few games, and I started believing again. And then he's Green's been a total dud the past two games again. Yeah, so it, it good it, if you're choosing between T Higgins and Tyler Boyd for your starting lineup this week, then you're things are going pretty well for you at wide receiver. Yeah. So congratulations yeah. on that uh, for the backfield. It's a fine spot for Gio Bernard if Joe Mixon remains out, and it certainly looks at the moment like Joe Mixon's going to remain out this week. I know he didn't practice Wednesday. Did we see a Thursday update on Joe Mixon's foot yet? I haven't seen anything on uh, practice participation on Thursday. I would bet on him not playing at this point, the fact that he didn't do anything on Wednesday. You know, Gio still, he got his seven targets last week. He only had eight carries. He only had eight of the 20 running back carries. They were mixing in uh Samaje Piran and, and someone else there was a third guy I can't even remember who it was right now but and th- that's a bit worrisome Bernard hasn't been efficient to begin with Washington's decent against the run so you know kind of a floor play especially in PPR you should still get you know three to five catches out of him but uh, not not an exciting fantasy play Gio Bernard the third guy must have been the dude from Texas A&M right uh Travion yeah. maybe I just can't remember maybe it was Icky Woods um, I think if we get no mixing again this week, then Gio probably at least moves probably, he probably moves ahead of Todd Gurley because of the matchup into decent RB two territory. I mean, last week, as you mentioned, the carries were down, but he's had, he's seen 18, 19 and 15 opportunities over the past three games. So, I mean, I guess unless the, he's just falling out of favor with them and they want to get more work to the other guys and, and Samaje Pirine's been around for several years. So it's not like he's, an upside player at this point, I would still bet on those 15 plus total opportunities for Gio. Yeah, me too. Again, with, you know, at least a third of that coming in the passing game, I I would use Mm -hmm. Gio over Gurley and PPR for sure. On the Washington side, some people are picking up Alex Smith this week. I'd have to be pretty hard up to get to that point. I think he's probably a decent bet to finish higher than the QB 23 spot we have him ranked at, but I would rather take a shot on Ryan Tannehill versus Baltimore and Baker Mayfield against Philly this week. And I'm not high on either of those guys. I mean, just massive passing volume for Smith the past two weeks. But I mean, he, he's been pretty good. He has 715 passing yards over the last two games, 71 complete, 71% completion rate, 8.2 yards per attempt. Um, you know, the, the thing that sucks about it is he's not running anymore. I mean, he used to be, he used to be a guy we could count on for, you know, 15 to, to 30 rushing yards per game. But after the leg injury, he's just not giving you that anymore. It is a good matchup here, obviously, Cincinnati 29th in both football outsiders past D and adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. Um, so, I mean, in, in a deep league, maybe he's a, he's a spot start option for you. I just, I still can't get excited about him, especially with the lack of weapons here. Like when you're targeting JD McKissick on like 30% of your passes, you know, it's just not a lot of upside there. Yes, J.D. McKissick, 29 targets in the two games with Alex Smith as the primary quarterback. Snap share was actually down slightly last week from 83% to 70%, but uh, he they were just on the field so much that his total snaps stayed up. We'll see whether Steven Sims's return cuts into J.D. McKissick's playing time. Sims returned two games ago. Last week, he played a little bit more than he did in his first game back. That coincided with J.D. McKissick playing a little bit less. McKissick was still playing significantly more, though, than Antonio Gibson. So I wouldn't call it a big concern for McKissick in terms of deciding week 11 lineups, but it's something to watch at least going forward. Yeah, the, the concerns for me with McKissick this week would be the fact that, you know, this game is a pick em. Washington might, you know, shouldn't be playing from a big deficit. They might even be playing with the lead. So, you know, that, that definitely favors Antonio Gibson more. You know, he's still the early down primary ball carrier. 
Um, Cincinnati's also allowed the fir- third fewest running back catches and receiving yards. Football Outsiders has them just 18th in running back coverage. I don't think it's like a tough matchup, but you know, teams haven't been targeting their running backs against Cincinnati much. Alex Smith loves checking it down. He obviously has some type of affinity for McKissick. So I, I think he'll be okay. I just think, you know, expect like four or five catches out of McKissick and not like nine or 10 this week. Yeah, I don't think it's because the Bengals are good at defending running backs because they're pretty weak at linebacker. I think it's just because offenses can do whatever they want against the Bengals. And usually if you can do that, then throwing to the running backs is not particularly uh, attractive because you get more yardage from throwing to the other positions. Yep. Gibson remains a solid play this week against Cincinnati. Also, though, a potential sell both, you know, this week or even beyond if you want to wait until after the Cincinnati matchup. He scored four touchdowns on the ground over the past three games. Uh, you can check our, our latest buy-sell-hold report, the final one of the season, if you want the full case on why to sell Antonio Gibson. Yeah, definitely like him this week. Again, you know, the, the game should stay close, so he should stay on the field, and Washington should be able to continue feeding him. Cincinnati allowing 5.2 yards per carry through running backs on the season. Football Outsiders has them 21st in Rundy. So nice matchup for Gibson. The, the problem is he is just doing very little in the passing game anymore. He was okay there early in the season, but the last couple of weeks, you know, it's going all to McKissick now. Gibson has just eight targets over his last three games. Um, he's run a pass route on 26, 35, and then just 19% of Alex Smith's drop back. So, you know, he's basically become like an early down back at this point. Yeah, and if you look at their playing time, it reflects that between him and J.D. McKissick. McKissick's on the field for 70-plus percent of snaps, and uh, Gibson's down below 50% like more of an early down running back. So keep that in mind, certainly, as you make your plans going forward. But it's a nice week for Antonio Gibson this week. Um, Anything else in that game? Uh, Did you want to talk about Logan Thomas? I think he's one of the guys you'd start over Jared Cook. Yeah, I guess I I just don't like talking about tight ends at this point. If I'm choosing between Logan Thomas and Jared Cook, I'm playing Logan Thomas because I think he's a better bet to see seven-plus targets. But if somebody's like, no, jerk, I'm starting Jared Cook because he can score a touchdown, I'm like, all right, I don't feel like taking the time to argue about these two things. Yeah, Thomas definitely safer than Cook. I would start Thomas over Cook in PPR. I just think Cook's a much better touchdown bet. But Logan Thomas, I mean, he, he ran 62 pass routes on 63 dropbacks last week. He was at 41 out of 43 the week prior. Six targets in both games. Again, Washington did throw it a bunch in those games, so the target share hasn't been great. But you know, he's been a, a pretty safe bet for like three or four catches every week. Yeah, and I guess I'll just I'll, I'll take that over hoping that Jared Cook scores a touchdown. That's, that's fair. <laughs> Pittsburgh Steelers at Jacksonville Jaguars. Steelers by 10.5, over under 47. On the Pittsburgh side, Ben Roethlisberger reportedly asked out of practice for this week, um, to which his coach said, uh, you can have Wednesday, but I expect to see you back Thursday. So, I mean, that at least suggests that Roethlisberger is fairly banged up, but he's also coming off his two biggest fantasy outings of the year, seven total touchdown passes over those two games. So it's tough to worry too much. Pittsburgh was already a pass-heavy offense, but the last two weeks, I mean, they've done 71 and then 70% pass. Um, yeah, Ben's been good in both of those games. I mean, Jacksonville's bad against the, the pass and the run. They're worse against the pass, though. They're 31st in football outsiders past the uh, 30th in adjusted points allowed to quarterbacks. And, you know, with the big implied total for the Steelers, I think Ben is you know, one of the better touchdown bets on the week. So I, I think he's a you know solid top 10 quarterback play for the week. 
Yeah, I think the only real downside to him is if they have a game like they had what was a few weeks ago. I forget who the opponent was, but where he threw like 22 pass attempts and they just you know didn't need him. Uh, Mike Tomlin did say this week that he wants to get the running game back on track. So, you know, maybe we'll see a dip in pass volume for this one. Maybe we'll get some more James Conner, but it's a matchup where there should be enough for everybody to do their scoring. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't need 40 pass attempts to have a nice game against Jacksonville. Right. Like I said, don't be surprised if we get a little bit of a lean back toward the run, uh, less pass volume, but I don't think that makes it a worrisome spot at all for anybody in the passing game. Deontay Johnson, Juju Smith-Schuster, Chase Claypool all sit top 15 in our PPR rankings. Yeah, all three of those guys are top 13 among wide receivers and targets over the last five weeks. Again, uh, Pittsburgh's elevated passing volume is helping all those guys get good volume. Um, Juju Smith-Schuster has the best matchup among the three in the slot this week. Um, Cincinnati also sixth best defense against deep passes, according to Football Outsiders. They're 26th against short passes. So, you know, that that sort of says that, you know, maybe Juju and Deontay are the better plays this week as the lower ADAC guys versus Chase Claypool. But, yeah, I'm with you. You're starting all of them. You know, it's more of a DFS thing. I think I would lean towards Juju and Deontay in this matchup. It also says that they match up poorly with the Steelers who want to throw everything short. Eric Ebron, top 12 at tight end this week. You know, it's a matchup with Cincinnati. Anybody who they try to score with has a, a chance to put up points in this game. Eric Ebron's another one that I would play over Jared Cook because I believe more in this offense, the matchup's weak, and he has delivered more often this year than Jared Cook has. Yep, I'm with you on Ebron over Cook. I think they're like similar touchdown bets, and Ebron is the better target bet. I'd try to stick with James Conner. Like I said, Mike Tomlin says they want to run the ball more. I, you know, we'll see about that. We can't believe coach speak, but James Conner has still been good for more of the season than he's been bad, which is really just the past two weeks. So yeah. try to hang on and see what happens this week. If he has a bad one against Jacksonville, it's going to be time to reevaluate. Yeah, and it's not like Connor's losing a bunch of carries to the other running backs. I mean, he has 71% of Pittsburgh's running back carries over the last two weeks. It's just, again, they haven't run the ball. So if they do, I still think, you know, he's a good bat for 15 plus carries. Right. On the Jacksonville side, ideally, you don't have to play anything besides James Robinson. I mean, DJ Chark is in wide receiver three territory, but certainly not a strong bet. He has cracked 60 receiving yards one time since week four. Yeah, it's a tough spot for the passing game because of Pittsburgh's pass rush. I mean, we know they're the best pass rush in the NFL. Um, Jacksonville's 30th in adjusted sack rate allowed. So I I just think Jake Luton's not going to have a lot of time. That obviously hurts all these pass catchers. On to New England Patriots at Houston Texans. Patriots by two and a half in this one, over under a 49. I think we're low on Jacoby Myers this week. Five catches for 59 yards on seven targets in the win over Baltimore on Sunday night. Big game versus the Jets before that. Six catches for six catches for 58 yards in his first start against Buffalo. He's ninth among wide receivers in PPR points over the past three weeks. He has seen 40.3% of Patriots targets over that span. Yeah, we, we might be low. You know, he, he might need another catch in the projections. Um, Julian Edelman is eligible to return this week. I haven't seen anything to suggest that he's gonna, but that's at least worth keeping an eye on. I guess my concern with Myers would be just, you know, even if he sees 40% of the Patriots targets again, like Cam Newton could throw it like 18 times in this game because the Texans are so bad against the run. We know the Patriots want to run as much as possible. I just think, you know, they're likely going to be low passing volume on the Patriots side this week. I just checked. And even if he only throws 18 times, that's still 7.2 targets. There you go. I think we got Myers for like five catches, right? So that, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I think we should have him projected for six because I think there's upside to 10, like if Houston is scoring on them, which is certainly possible in this game. And it's a friendly scoring, ma- a friendly passing matchup, friendly rushing matchup too. So really just a spot where 
things could work. So I think try to start Jacoby Myers if you can, especially in PPR. It's a wonderful matchup too for Damian Harris. Gets the second best scoring matchup for running backs. 14 plus carries for him in three straight games and four of his six overall. 71 plus rushing yards in every game that he has seen at least 14 carries this year, including three games of 100 plus yards. He's averaging five and a half yards per carry on the year. Yeah, he's like good Sony Michelle at this point, like efficient Sony Michelle. He's still doing nothing in the passing game, just two total targets all season. So you know, that's the downside. Patriots are favored in this game, though. Yeah, I think it'll stay close enough where they can feed Harris. You know, plenty of work here. Yeah, that's what I would assume as well. Rex Burkhead is also, I think, a fringe option if you're running back needy this week. Obviously not a safe bet for work, but three plus catches in three of his past four games. He's always a potential red zone option. A greater percentage of his carries have come in the red zone and inside the five yard line than for any other Patriots running back. So you can't count on the work, but when he does get the work, they give it to him in high leverage situations. Yep, and good matchup, as you said. Um, Burkhead's just like the guy where... You think he's in a good spot. You want to start him. He does nothing. And then like, you know, last week against Baltimore, he, he has a big game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Cam Newton gets a fine matchup, but he's just too touchdown reliant to be attractive at quarterback. 32% of his fantasy points this year have come ver- uh, via rushing touchdowns. And that's not even counting the yardage on those touchdowns, just the touchdowns themselves. The next highest quarterback is Kyler Murray at 20%. So well below that. And Kyler Murray is at an abnormally high touchdown rate as well. So uh, it's just, if Cam Newton doesn't score, then he has the potential to drop way down QB rankings. Right, exactly. So I actually looked into that. So Newton's finished quarterback 16, quarterback 9, and quarterback 14 over the last three weeks. So, you know, again, he's been okay. But that's with four total rushing touchdowns. If you take those rushing touchdowns away, he finishes quarterback 22, quarterback 25, and quarterback 23. So if he doesn't score a rushing touchdown, he's going to hurt you. And that said, again, you know, Houston, 32nd in football outsiders run D. DVOA. So there's a chance for Newton to have another, you know, big rushing day here. Yeah, for sure. More of a DFS play than redraft if you can help it, but usable certainly if you're looking down in that range for a quarterback. On the Houston side, I don't think there's a whole lot sneaky. It's still not a great matchup for passing. It's softer than it has been. And we'll see this week whether Stefan Gilmore is back for this game. Yeah, that's my big question here. And then, you know, who Stefan Gilmore would cover. I don't know if he'd shadow either Will Fuller or Brandon Cooks. He might spend some time on both of them. But I mean, Fuller and Cooks have both been getting such strong usage and they're good enough players where I would, I'd be starting them both regardless of Gilmore's status. And there's downside risk to Deshaun Watson, but there's also upside much more than we have gotten used to with the Patriots defense still. I mean, if you forget about that just because the Ravens only scored 17 points, look back the week before and Joe Flacco had a big game. And even last week, Lamar Jackson had 249 passing yards, which was his most since week one. So um, I still think this is a a fine passing matchup. And of course, Watson gives you the rushing upside. Yeah, I agree. Anything else on the Houston side? Uh, Stick with Duke Johnson. I know it was ugly last week, but, you know, he literally got like elite workhorse usage. You know, he got all but one running back opportunity last week. And the matchup's good against the Patriots run defense. Yeah, sometimes it'd be like that. Tennessee Titans at Baltimore Ravens. Ravens by six and a half, over under 49 in this game. Another tough rushing spot for Derrick Henry. Third straight opponent for him that ranks top five in rushing DVOA. He did top 100 yards on the ground against the Colts last week. The week before, 21 carries for 68 yards against the Bears. No touchdowns in either of those games. So, I mean, obviously you're not sitting Derrick Henry, but 
Don't be surprised if it's a tougher week for him. I mean, New England's run game had success against Baltimore last week. They, they are missing uh, Clay's Campbell, who's one of their better run stuffers. I think, you know, the run D might not be as good as the season-long metrics would suggest. Yes, also likely missing Brandon Williams, I believe it is, at nose tackle. So it uh, certainly helps the, the soften the run defense for Derrick Henry. Obviously, it doesn't really matter because you're playing him either way. Where I think it might matter is – if Derrick Henry does have a tougher day running the ball, maybe we get a little bit more pass volume. That didn't happen so much either the past two weeks, so I wouldn't say plan on it. And that's why Ryan Tannehill is well down our rankings. Yeah, I mean, Tannehill's really struggled for the past month now. He's been uh, 14th or worse among quarterbacks and fantasy points in his last four games. Part of it's been the dip in volume. Part of it's been a dip in efficiency. He, he has had a tough schedule. Um, three of his last four games have come against top seven quarterback defenses, but this is another tough matchup here against Baltimore. They're, they're 15th in adjusted points allowed. Football Outsiders has them 10th in pass defense. So, uh, you know, Tannehill outside the top 12 quarterbacks this week for us. Yeah, he's not attractive. The wideouts aren't attractive. I mean, A.J. Brown's going to start for most teams, but he's well down from where he is usually. One guy to talk about, I think, is Johnny Smith. Baltimore does sit 21st in DVOA against tight ends. And Johnny Smith is coming off three straight games, uh, three straight season highs in route rate. He did see Anthony Ferkser a couple weeks ago steal his targets against Chicago, lead him in that game. But last week swung back in Smith's favor, 6-3 to three over Ferkser in targets. I mean, Ferkser's presence stinks, even if he's second in targets at that position. But we have at least seen good usage for Johnny Smith lately. If we get points from Baltimore in this one, if we don't get Derrick Henry dominating the defense, maybe we finally get the targets from Johnny Smith. I'm interested in taking a shot on Johnny Smith over Jared Cook because I think Johnny Smith's a better player, got a better quarterback, even if it's not a great spot. And I think there's a chance he gets the targets in this game. Yeah, the fact that his route rates are back up, you know, around 80% is encouraging. I think if that continues, we're going to get some, you know, more productive games out of John but yeah, you know, last week, those six targets, that was the first time he'd seen more than like three targets in a month. Um, the volume just hadn't been there. And I, I just think it's a tough spot in general for the Titans offense. So I don't love Smith's touchdown chances here. Yes, I agree. And I, it's really a toss up between Smith and cook. Um, yeah. I, I doubt that too many people are deciding with one of those guys on waiver wire. So it might be a moot point on the Ravens side. It's nice to finally see Mark Andrews get exhumed and reanimated. <laughs> Yeah, and now Nick Boyle's out for the year, so you know they can't give pass routes and targets to, to Nick Boyle. So um, good matchup for Mark Andrews, Titans 29th in Football Outsiders tight end coverage. This, this could be a spot where we get you know 2019 Mark Andrews back. Now if we could just get the Titans to lose their Nick Boyle. Season high tying nine targets for Andrews last week. Season high seven catches, season high 61 yards. Better matchup this week, as you mentioned. So it's a fire him up. Marquise Brown. I get that hearing his name at this point probably just makes fantasy owners cringe. I wouldn't feel good about playing him this week either. But, I mean, if he doesn't do it this week, then why is he even on your roster at this point? Yeah, Titans defense is bad. And PFF projects Malcolm Butler to shadow Marquise Brown. Malcolm Butler is a 4-6 guy. So, you know, big speed advantage there for Marquise Brown. Um, yeah, he, you know, he'd be someone as a wide receiver three. I'd, I wouldn't mind taking a shot on this week, even though, you know, we know the floor is basically, you know, what, what he's shown us for most of the season now. Yeah, it's it's important, I think, to remember the past three weeks because they were especially ugly. They did play the Steelers, Colts, and Patriots. So yep. 
you know, it's not like he went out and, and stunk against the Jaguars. So I, I would try to take a shot on Marquise Brown this week. I would not reach over guys who have been producing for you to do it, but I'm also not reaching too far past Marquise Brown to find somebody else. And if you are, then it's time to consider whether you just drop him from your roster. Right. Uh, he is 24th overall in defensive DVOA, 25th against the pass. Brown has drawn 22.4% of targets for Baltimore this season. So the usage has been okay, even if he's not, even if he's letting you down overall. Willie Sneed, by the way, it's growth, but he's yeah. caught five, four, and five passes the past three weeks. I know. It's so gross. I, I still wouldn't trust Willie Sneed. No, no, but he's like, well, he's not quite Kalen Balaj here. I, I, I'm not, I'm struggling to think of the running back equivalent of Willie Sneed, but he's somebody that you can't forget about at least. All right. I, I like Willie Sneed. He's more like, he's more like Pierre Thomas, you know? No, don't, don't <laughs> talk about Pierre Thomas like that. Willie Sneed is Carlos Hyde this week where you don't know that the work's going to him, but it certainly could be there because they don't have that many more options. You don't know that he's going to produce if he gets the work, but if you need somebody, you can try him. Sure. Um, seven targets in two of those games, by the way, I want none of the Baltimore running backs as long as it's a three headed monster. And I say monster only in relation to making your fantasy decisions. The carries went seven, five and five against the Patriots. The targets went one, two and two. If you need a Baltimore running back for this week, I say you find a die, you roll it, you assign two sides to each of those running backs, just roll it and let that decide it for you. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, J.K. Dobbins at least led the way in snaps and pass routes. You know, the, the usage didn't show it. If, if I'm picking between them, I'd still go with him because I still think he's the biggest talent. Um, but yeah, it's it's such a mess, and I feel like it's hurting the team too. Like, their running game was better when Mark Ingram was out those few weeks when it was just, you know, a, a two-man rotation. Yeah, I mean, who knows how you can really measure how much it matters that, like, a, a running back gets in a groove or whatever you want to call it. That could be one of those things that just football people make up, or there could be something to it. And it probably depends on the team and depends on the player, but it certainly doesn't help the guys when you give each person about five carries and about one target that just doesn't give you any chance to, to work through any mistakes and get anything going and know what's coming. Exactly. Detroit lions at Carolina Panthers, Panthers by one in this one over under 49, Quarterback questions on each side of this one to watch. Matthew Stafford, we're going to have to watch the reports on his throwing thumb this week. I would be scared of using him even if he's playing with a torn ligament in his right thumb. I wanted to go back and see when he suffered that injury. because I know It obviously happened during last week's game, and he played through it, and I think he played through it okay. Um, but, yeah, uh, you know, any injury to a quarterback's throwing hand would worry me a bit. Stafford already has been mostly disappointing in fantasy this season. He, he has had two of his – better fantasy performances of the year over the last three weeks might be getting Kenny Galladay back this week. So there's some reasons for optimism, but the the thumb injury would just, you know, make me lean elsewhere if I could. Yeah. I mean, if I have Matthew Stafford and Carson Wentz, I'm probably watching the thumb reports all week and I'm probably going back to game pass and watching <laughs> when that injury happened to Matthew Stafford and seeing what it looked like after that. Cause that would be a tough choice between the two of them, but that's the level he would be at Kenny Galladay limited Wednesday. So trending toward a return. I'd probably start Kenny Galladay regardless. He's going to be a wide receiver three, though, if it's Chase Daniel in the lineup. Yes, I agree. Um, And and a wide receiver two if it's Stafford. Uh, Marvin Jones obviously takes a hit if Galladay's back. Jones has averaged seven targets per game this season without Kenny Galladay, just 4.6 targets per game with Galladay in there. And he has a knee issue this week that kept him out of practice Wednesday. So we're going to have to watch to see if Marvin Jones is even playing. Same for Danny Amendola, who has a hip injury. Uh, it's not We have to watch because we have to track everybody. 
But if you're making decisions, I would decide right now to not use Marvin Jones or Danny Amendola. Yeah, Amendola left last week's game with a hip. Mar- Marvin Jones always has a knee issue, so I, I think exactly. he should be fine. Um, TJ Hawkinson, obviously worth watching too. He suffered that toe injury last Thursday, played through it, but ran a route on just 58% of Matt Stafford's dropbacks. That was one of, if not Hawkinson's lowest mark of the season. He was limited in Wednesday's practice. He's going to play this week, but I, I'd like to see him get in a full practice to feel good about using him. Mm-hmm. No need to watch the practice reports for DeAndre Swift, though. It's pretty easy to feel good about him after last week. Yes, we finally got you know DeAndre Swift in a clear lead role. 73% of the snaps, uh, 16 of the 21 running back carries, five of the six running back targets. So, you know, he looks like a RB1 the rest of the way. It's just too bad that we can't get the same thing from J.K. Dobbins in Baltimore, where they could just treat Gus Edwards like uh, like Bo, whatever his face is, and <laughs> Detroit, and shove the guys aside and put the top guy in the lead. Panthers backfield. I'm going back to Mike Davis. We all knew the downside in the matchup with Tampa last week. Um, it, it was exacerbated by the Panthers running 30 fewer offensive plays than the Bucks. The game was close in the, in the first half, and then Tampa Bay just pulled away in the second half. The Lions, though, are the best scoring matchup for fantasy yeah. running backs, according to our strength of schedule formula. So I think Mike Davis gets a lot more work in this one. Yeah, the, the matchup is what makes me feel good about sticking with him. Um, Detroit, 27th in Football Outsiders run D DVOA. They're also 30th in Football Outsiders running back coverage ranking. So a good matchup for Davis on the ground and in the passing game. He, he's he's still not you know he's still not getting the amount of work he was in those first few starts though. You know Curtis Samuel is like stealing an annoying amount of carries from from Mike Davis. Davis only had seven of the 13 running back carries for Carolina last week. Still you know still getting nice passing game volume. I still think he's I still think he's more of an RB two at this point though than you know the RB one he was in those first few starts. Yeah, I certainly agree with that. But I would expect a lot more carries this week. We'll see who the quarterback is on the Carolina side. Teddy Bridgewater is dealing with a knee issue. Put in a limited practice Wednesday, though. That suggests he'll probably play, but we'll have to watch this week. I think whether we have a less than 100% Teddy Bridgewater or P.J. Walker making his first NFL start, I think either way it would make sense to give more work to the running backs to try to help you know, cover that up. Yep, that that's definitely makes sense. I, mean, I think Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore should be downgraded to like wide receiver threes if Bridgewater can't go. I, I'd feel fine using them both, even if we get Bridgewater at less than 100%. I, I saw a note from an ESPN article this morning that said uh, Carolina might split snaps between P.J. Walker and Will Greer if uh, Bridgewater can't go because they're in evaluation mode. They want to see you know what they have in these two guys. So probably just know for like DFS, I wouldn't gamble on P.J. Walker if there's no Bridgewater. That is absolutely ridiculous. What do you have to see from Will Greer in an NFL game at this point? I mean, it was so bad last year that you went back away from him and then you signed two quarterbacks in the offseason. I guess it's new coaching staff, but uh, they've seen it. Play a quarterback and try to win the game. Robbie Anderson, for what it's worth, yards per catch and average depth of target both down recently. He averaged 13.9 yards per reception, 10.7 A dot over the first seven games. Over the last three, that's down to 7.3 yards per catch, 7.9 average depth of target. So the routes have shortened and his efficiency has dipped lately. Yeah, volume's still been there, though, so I'd still feel you know fine using him. You know, DJ Moore has been the one who's sort of been living off the low volume. You know, he's Robbie Anderson's still, still the better fantasy play among the two. Yes, I agree with that, but it might make him more of a sell candidate if you're looking um, for upgrades at this point. Curtis Samuel... 
still okay down in wide receiver four range. Last week's dud was a lot closer to reality than the huge game he had at Kansas City the week before. As you mentioned, though, is getting an annoying number of carries if you're a Mike Davis owner. Three carries in three straight games. Yeah, I mean, he has five targets or five plus targets in five straight games. Like you said, he's been getting, you know, three or four carries per game. He has four red zone carries on the season, too, and, and has scored on a couple, couple of those. So, you know, the, the rushing, you know, boosts him a bit, even though he's not getting great volume in the passing game. Miami Dolphins at Denver Broncos. Dolphins by three and a half over under 45. And hey, Mr. Dolphins fan, does it feel like a new day with Miami hitting the week as a road favorite? That's Denver. So not not really. <laughs> we do have quarterback injuries to watch on both sides for this one as well. But for Tuo Tungavailoa, it's just, it's a foot issue that he still put in a full practice with on Wednesday. So he's listed, um, but it doesn't seem like it's going to be an issue. He's way down the quarterback rankings as usual yeah. anyway. So, I mean, I guess it, it doesn't really matter. And frankly, even if it gets worse during the week and he sits, it's not like we're going to downgrade anybody because Ryan Fitzpatrick is starting again. I mean, I'd still upgrade the pass catchers for Fitzpatrick. And that, that's not a knock on Tua. Like, he's played well, but, you know, they're they're throwing less with him under center. It just looks like a more conservative passing game. Tua has finished 28th, 17th, and 16th among quarterbacks in fantasy points. So just, just not a lot of upside there the way they're using him right now. Devontae Parker has seven targets in two straight games, but he only managed two catches for 31 against the Chargers last week. Fourth game of three catches or fewer among his past five. Just 21.3% of targets over two as three starts so far. That's fine, but it's not really true wide receiver one level. Yeah, I mean, I think we sort of thought the move from Fitzpatrick to Tua would hurt Parker just because you know, Fitzpatrick's like the you know the old, old version of Jameis Winston. He's just a gunslinger, and even if he throws interceptions, it's just good for the pass catchers. And you have a more conservative guy like Tua come in, it just hurts the upside. So yeah, I think I think Parker's just a wide receiver three the, the rest of the way. Yeah, I agree. Mike Jasaki, 14.7% target share, six catches in those three games with Tua. So he remains just a tight end two-level option. Yeah, no, I, I thought maybe his usage would improve with Preston Williams out with the Isaiah Ford trade to New England. But uh, Gasicki actually had his lowest route rate since week two last week. Ran around on just 67% of the drop back, still not getting targets. So, you know, he's he's a tight end too. It just took the new offensive coordinator a little bit of time to realize that he's not very good at football. <laughs> if they, listen, if they have a volleyball tournament, though, he's going to be <laughs> the number one pick. He can jump. Jakeem Grant, four catches in three of the past four games, including two straight. He has not topped five targets in a game this year, but I think he's a deep option. Yeah, 78% route rate for Grant last week. You know, he's he's definitely the second wide receiver there. And Miami, again, Tua sort of lowers the ceiling. But, yeah, I think Grant, Grant's in play as a you know, deeper league wide receiver four. And he has that kick returner speed where he can take a short pass a long way, too. Poor man Tyreek Hill. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, in the backfield, Matt Breida put in a full practice Wednesday. So what can we expect from this group if he's back from his hamstring injury this week? I think it adds some risk to Salvan Ahmed. Um, but, I mean, Miami all season hasn't seemed like they want to give Breda any type of significant role. He's averaging just 5.3 carries and 1.1 target per game. And really looking at the Dolphin season as a whole, like it seems like they want a clear feature back because Miles Gaskin was getting, you know, that type of workload before his injury. And Ahmed has got it really the past two weeks and especially last week. So I'd still feel good about Ahmed getting, you know, 15 plus touches even with Breda back this week. Ahmed did lead the backfield as well with 15 routes last week, even though he didn't see much in the passing game. Next in that category was Patrick Laird. So 
I wouldn't feel great about starting anybody in the Miami backfield, but I would have to lead with Salvin Ahmed and then follow with Matt Breida if I really need a running back. And we'll see if they say anything, but you know, it's a football coach and football coaches that started out in New England. So we're probably not going to hear anything. <laughs> right. On the Broncos side, no Drew Locke at practice Wednesday because of a rib injury. So he looks like he's in real danger of missing this game. Probably doesn't really change much for the rest of the offense, I don't think, because Drew Locke has not been very good. Brett Rippon and Jeff Driscoll, though, have have each taken pressure at a higher rate than Drew Locke so far this season. So it becomes a better sack matchup. Maybe that increases the chances of Miami jumping out to a lead and Denver having to throw to catch up. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not sure that Drew Locke is better than Brett Rippon. He, he's at least like more aggressive, you know, more than that Ryan Fitzpatrick, Jameis Winston mold. So I think Rippon would be a, a slight downgrade. And I'm assuming it would be Rippon over Driscoll if Locke can't go. I think it'd be a slight downgrade to the receivers. Um, I'd still be starting Jerry Judy. I mean, his his usage, he's sixth among all wide receivers in targets over the last five weeks. He's first among all wide receivers in air yards. So, you know, that type of usage for that type of talent. Um, you know, he, he'd stick in my starting lineup, even if it's ripping. What kind of level are you starting him at? Cause I would love to not have to use Jerry yeah. Judy with a backup quarterback against the dolphins. I mean, wide receiver three, but a guy with upside. Cause I, again, I just, I still think he's a big talent and, you know, it seems like Denver wants to feature him in their passing game now. Yeah. I'll certainly give him wide receiver three with upside. Yeah. Um, anything else in that wide receiver core? Yeah. KJ Hamler. I wanted to talk about um, 20 targets over the last two games now. Uh, ran her out on 90% of the dropbacks last week, 75% the week prior. And he, he he's become Denver's primary slot receiver now. Um, the past three games, he's run the vast majority of his routes in the slot. And that's where you want to be against the Dolphins, who have you know a couple good outside corners and Byron Jones and Xavier Howard. But it's Nick Needham in the slot for Miami. So Hamler's going to have the best matchup among these wide receivers. Um, he, he's someone, I think, to consider as a cheap DFS play and you know maybe like a wide receiver four in season long. Yeah, he's like Jakeem Grant level, I would say, right? Yep. The backfield, Melvin Gordon has not topped 11 carries in a game since week seven. Philip Lindsay left that game early. And check this out. In that game, Philip Lindsay played 14 snaps. He carried on nine of them before <laughs> leaving early with an injury. Even the passing stuff has not fallen clearly in Melvin Gordon's favor lately. So, I mean, Melvin Gordon's a guy that to use if you need to, but he's certainly not somebody to get excited about. Yeah, and Miami still grades poorly in like football outsiders run D and adjusted points a lot, but their run D's definitely been better the past few weeks. So I don't think it's a great matchup that Broncos running game in general has just been bad. Uh, Melvin Gordon's finished outside the top 30 running backs and half PPR points in, in three straight games now. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Would not want to use Melvin Gordon, but you know, if you have to, you can at least count on him for 12 to 15 touches. Maybe. Uh, Noah Fant, just three catches in three of his past four games, has not reached 50 receiving yards since week two. In this tight end economy, he still counts as an upside guy, but uh, he's facing a decently tough matchup. The Dolphins ranked ninth in Football Outsiders tight end coverage. Eric Rowe has played fairly well. I'm probably knocking Noah Fant down our rankings a bit from where he sits. He hasn't looked like the you know explosive Noah Fant since that first ankle injury. And then he's, you know, re-injured it and I think hurt his other ankle. He, he is off the injury report this week with the ankle. He's back on there with a rib injury and actually didn't practice on Wednesday. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. He's in the top 12 because of the targets. You know, he has seven plus targets in three of his last four games, but um, I, don't, I don't think he has the upside that, you know, we, that he had in, even in the start of the season, just because of the, those injuries. The real reason he's in the top 12 is because there are like eight tight ends worth playing. Exactly. 
New York Jets at Los Angeles Chargers. The Chargers by eight and a half, which is actually down one from where it opened, probably because Joe Flacco stepped in. Over under 47. Sam Darnold is out again. As I mentioned, Joe Flacco gets another start. Really doesn't matter. I don't want anything here except probably Jamison Crowder. And Jamison Crowder's matchup could get tougher if Chris Harris Jr. is ready to return, play primary slot corner for the Chargers. He was designated to return from IR this week from a foot injury, but he's been out for quite a while. So I'm not actually changing my Jamison Crowder plan if Chris Harris is active for this game. Yeah, Crowder's still a good volume bet. Um, you know, last time out, he, he was limited coming off that groin injury, um, but he's not on the week 11 injury report. So the groin issue should be behind him. And Crowder saw 10 and then 13 targets in Joe Flacco's first two starts of the season. So, you know, we, we sort of wondered if it was Sam Darnold peppering Crowder with targets. I, I just think it's the offense and just that he's still the best wide receiver there. So I think he's a good target bet. Uh, I think Denzel Mims and, and Brashad Perriman down the list, like wide receiver fours, like Jakeem Grant, KJ Hamler territory. Both those guys ran a route on every single Joe Flacco drop back last time, uh, that last game against New England. Denzel Mims saw eight targets. Brashad Perriman saw seven targets. You know, they're both guys that can make big plays, so there's there's some upside there. Yeah, I would rather play Jakeem Grant than either of those guys. But, I mean, if you're, de- if you're looking down that range, then I certainly can't argue with them. I like KJ Hamler best among all those guys. Um, yeah, I'd probably lean Grant over the, the the two Jets. The Jets are also reportedly going to let Lamichael Pirine play lead back going forward. Whatever that means. You're not you're not buying that one. I don't. I don't care. What is a, what is a lead back for the Jets? Ten carries instead yeah. of seven. Well, the, the actual report was quote unquote feature backs. You know, that's a little better than lead back. <laughs> is it for the Jets? I don't even I mean, know. What, nothing there should be featured. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, I I think. P. Ryan is a running back three or flex option this week, and we'll sort of reevaluate him based on, you know, how much work he actually gets in this game. He's somebody I would start Carlos Hyde over tonight. I'd, I'd probably go P. Ryan in PPR. Ew. <laughs> that's all, that's all <laughs> I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised if he comes out of this game with like 20 touches. <laughs> yeah, 20 touches for 50 yards. Yeah. So well, let's move to the Chargers side where we actually have fantasy relevant players to talk about. Mm-hmm. Justin Herbert, of course, cut his hair this week for the first time in like three years. So apparently Delilah is the team's strength and conditioning coach. And obviously we have downgraded Justin Herbert to just below Alex Smith in the QB rankings. Um, otherwise, though, I've seen no indication that we might get Austin Eckler back this week, right? No, I, I haven't either. So you can wax poetic about Kalen Balaj if you want. Kalen Balage. Yeah, I mean, I hate to play him this week, but you kind of have to. I mean, he's seen 65% of the Chargers running back carries over the past two games. The team is 10th in the league in running back carries for the season. So uh, Kalen Balage really is like one of the top five best bets for running back touches this week. And that puts him on the running back one fringe uh, against the Jets in this matchup. Yep, no argument here, as, as ugly as it, it is. Um, and and it, the Jets are actually a decent run defense, but they give up fantasy points to running backs because they're always, you know, playing from behind and teams can just run on them. Um, they face the 11th most running back carries and allowed the 7th most running back rushing yards this season. So it, it's a good spot for Balage. Um, I won't be shocked if we're sitting here next week and he let everyone down last week. But, I mean, I, everything points to him getting another 15-plus touches in this in this game. Yeah, I'm probably not going to touch him in DFS because he'll be popular there and is definitely capable of letting everybody down, as we've seen. But uh, season long, as I mentioned, I, I got to play him over Todd Gurley in my lineup. Yep, me too. Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Hunter Henry, all in good spots. Obviously, also a good spot for Justin Herbert. So all those guys are pretty easy starts this week. 
Yeah, Jalen Guyton would be a DFS flyer for me too. He's he's he, he's a full time player at this point. Um, 88, 88, and seventy eight percent of the routes over the last three games. The targets haven't really been there, but he did see six last week, and you know he's basically every target he gets is like a deep shot downfield. So I mean, he could definitely give you a zero, but especially in this matchup against the Jets, I think you know he he has that big play upside. What's he cost on DraftKings this week? Do you know? Is he three thousand or is he higher than that? Probably higher yeah. than that. Yeah, I, I haven't looked at honestly. I would bet that he's up in the high three Ks because he has scored this year. Yeah, I could I could see that. We'll probably check it out for tomorrow's shows. Yep. Green Bay at Indianapolis. The Colts by two and a half. That's up one and a half from where it opened and over under 51. Aaron Rodgers has loaded up on some weak defenses so far this year. He's faced just two that rank among the top 10 in past defense DVOA, according to Football Outsiders. And one of those was the Saints in week three. I just don't believe that the Saints are the sixth best pass defense, which is how they rank in DVOA right now. So the other one was the Bucks in week five, and that was the only game so far in which Aaron Rodgers has thrown for less than 240 yards. The only game he's been short of two touchdown passes, he threw zero in that game, and that game included two of his three interceptions for the season. So I think that this Colts matchup looks like his, at least his second toughest of the season, maybe his toughest. Uh, it doesn't push Aaron Rodgers outside of the top 12, but I wouldn't be surprised if he finishes outside the top 12 this week. Yeah, I think it's his second toughest. I think the Bucs are tougher. You can sort of say the same thing about the Colts' past defense. You look at the quarterbacks they've faced. Gardner Minshew, Kirk Cousins, Sam Darnold, Nick Foles, Baker Mayfield, Joe Burrow, Matt Stafford, Lamar Jackson, Ryan Tannehill. You know, they, they shut down Tannehill in the Titans' passing game last week. Stafford put up 336 yards and three touchdowns against them. Joe Burrow went over 300 yards. I think the Colts are are good defense, but I don't think it's an impossible matchup for Rodgers. I wouldn't I wouldn't be sitting him for any any of these streamers. Yes, I definitely agree with that. I would not be reaching for Jameis Winston or Phillip Rivers or something. I'd go ahead and play Aaron Rodgers in this spot. Yep. Colts are fourth in pass defense DVOA. They're also fourth against the run, so it's a tougher spot for Aaron Jones as well. He's still top ten in our rankings, though. Basically. My reaction to the matchup here is I'm just not reaching for Packers in this game. I'll play the guys that I've been playing, but I'm not interested really in MVS, Alan Lazard if he plays, Robert Tunyon at tight end. Yeah, with you there. Um, you know, MVS has had two straight big games. His usage hasn't changed. He's just connected on some of those big plays. And with Lazard expected back back this week, you know, that is likely going to cut into – MVS's playing time. Robert Tunyon, his route rate was at least back up last week, 71%, but still didn't see big volume. He's still averaging just three and a half targets per game over the last five weeks with Devonta Adams. So, you know, Tunyon remains a touchdown or bust fantasy play. And, you know, the Colts have been one of the, the tougher tight end defenses. I think the Colts still haven't allowed a tight end touchdown all season. On the Colts side, Phillip Rivers has had three of his four best fantasy outings among the past four games. Fine spot if you are looking for a streaming level quarterback versus, versus this middling defense. Yeah, Rivers top 13 in three of his last four outings now has honestly been playing better than I expected. He got to a rough start season, but he's been better lately. Uh, Michael Pittman has sort of emerged as, you know, I think Indy's best wide receiver, so that helps. I, I think Rivers is right there with Jameis as a streaming option this week. Yeah, and probably the safer bet between the two. Probably, yeah. I mean, I think Winston has more upside, but I'd call Rivers safer, yeah. At running back, if you need a Colts running back, you're going to have to flip a coin between Naheem Hines and Jonathan Taylor. I mean, Hines' playing time has not jumped in games that they've trailed so far this season, so you'd like to look at it and say, well – 
maybe they'll need Hines if the Packers score points, but uh, he just hasn't been seeing that kind of usage. Finally saw his best usage overall last week in a game they won by 17 points. Yeah, that's as good as I've ever seen Naheem Hines look. You know, maybe something has clicked for him and, you know, he's going to continue performing that way. And we'll, we'll see if that performance earns him a bigger role going forward. If I had to pick among these guys, it would be Naheem Hines for me, even in non PPR. And that's saying a lot because I'm not a big Hines fan and I loved Jonathan Taylor. I still do like Jonathan Taylor, but it's just been disappointing. Taylor's snap rate is now dropped in four straight games. It was down to 24%. Last week, he's seen just eight and nine opportunities over the last two weeks. And I mean, he starts every game. The Colts start with him, but he doesn't do anything special and they go away from him. And then he minds gets hot and they stick with him. It's just at this point, you got to stop hoping for, you know, the big Jonathan Taylor game and, and just bench him if at all possible. Right. It's definitely a hot hand situation, though, as opposed to being role dependent. I mean, last week it was Naheem Hines got hot and the running backs mm-hmm. coach reportedly said, yo, leave Naheem Hines in there. He's running well. We'll see if the same thing happens this week. Or, you know, maybe Jonathan Taylor starts on the field again, scores at the end of the first drive. And they're like, hey, let's leave the rookie in there. He's finally rolling. Yep. Anything else from that game? Uh, mentioned Michael Pittman. I think, you know, he's like a wide receiver three play. Um, he led the Colts in targets, catches, and receiving yards last week. He's he's a full-time player at this point. And then the tight ends, Jack Doyle still didn't practice on Wednesday with his concussion. So if he's out, I think Mo Alley-Cox and Trey Burton are, you know, like lower-end streaming options this week. Yeah, definitely lower-end, but I can see the upside. On to Dallas Cowboys at Minnesota Vikings. Vikings by 7.5, over under a 48.5. And here's what I have to say about the Cowboys offense <laughs> coming out of their bye. I would play Kalen Balaj over Ezekiel Elliott. I would play Jacoby Myers over Amari Cooper. And I would play Baker Mayfield over Andy Dalton. I'm more optimistic than you are. I don't know. Like, why? Because we only saw like one full game of Andy Dalton. Like, when Dak first went down, we thought like this passing offense would be okay. So we thought Andy Dalton could keep them afloat. Um, I, I'm not, I don't want to start Andy Dalton. But I'm I'm at least optimistic that this offense could be okay. So I would I would definitely use Amari Cooper over Jacoby Myers. Um, I might even use CD Lamb over Jacoby Myers. Oh, not a chance. Vikings are up to 10th in overall defensive DVOA. They're 11th against the pass. So we've got an improving defense against an offense that looked like dog crap ever since Dak Prescott went down. They're going to have to prove to me that they deserve to be started before I'm starting any of them. I don't think that a buy and getting Andy Dalton back healthy is what the offense was missing. I think the garbage offensive line is the thing that's really hurting this offense the most and just not having Dak. I think we're seeing how big a difference he makes. So, you know, we'll yeah. see. Maybe this time next week I'll be like, yep, they they rebounded. They needed some time off. But for now, I'm starting guys that I can expect things from against uh, or over options in Dallas. Yeah, the offensive line's a concern. Minnesota doesn't have a great pass rush. I mean, their, their starting corners are Chris Boyd, Chris Jones, and Jeff Gladney. Like, I mean, Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, and Michael Gallup against that group, I mean, it's a total mismatch. So, again, I, I wouldn't want to start Dalton. Gallup just hasn't seen the volume all season. Cooper had seven catches on 10 targets in Dalton's lone full game. Uh, CeeDee Lamb had seven catches on a team high, 11 targets in Dalton's full game. The passing volume was up in that game against the Cardinals. Um, but, again, I, I, I think Dalton's good enough to keep Cooper and Lamb afloat. I don't. Not here anyway. On the Vikings side, you're playing the obvious. I think we got to watch Irv Smith this week. He was limited Wednesday after he missed Monday night's game. If he doesn't play again, I think Kyle Rudolph is a streaming option. Yep. So not exciting, but it's a decent spot for whoever the starting tight end is for Minnesota. 
Yeah, Kyle Rudolph's never exciting, but I do think he's a pretty good streamer if Irv Smith is out. He Rudolph ran her out on 79% of Cousins' dropbacks last week, so five targets, a 14% target share. Um, pretty decent touchdown bet in this game where the Vikings offense should have plenty of success. Yeah, Kyle Rudolph is Jack Doyle. Kirk Cousins also a QB streaming option here behind Phillip Rivers, but probably a safer bet than Carson Wentz this week. I, if I had to decide yeah. between Kirk Cousins and Carson Wentz, it would be close but I, I would have to advise Kirk Cousins. Yeah, I mean, with Cousins, you're always just hoping, like, he gets some of the touchdowns because, like, the volume's not going to be big unless we project them to be, you know, trailing, and I don't think that's the case here. Um, you know, Dalvin Cook should have tons of success on the ground, but, I mean, the, you know, the Vikings have a high implied total. It's a good matchup for Cousins, too. So there's a chance he gets, you know, two or three of the touchdowns here. Kansas City Chiefs at Las Vegas Raiders on Sunday night. Chiefs by 7.5. The over-under 57 is the highest of the week. You're playing all your Chiefs here. McCole Hardman is now the one dealing with an injury that we have to watch to see if he's going to play. Sammy Watkins, meanwhile, looks like he's going to return. There's upside if you're down in the wide receiver five range, you know, with guys that we were talking about down there before, like Jalen Guyton. But there's obviously also risk to just starting Sammy Watkins in his first game back from a hamstring injury. Yeah, I would, I'd lean towards Watkins over like all those guys, even, even like the Jakeem Grant level. I mean, he, he had the bye week, and he was a full practice on Wednesday. You know, he, he missed a bunch of time with the hamstring, so I, it makes me think they waited till he's you know truly back to 100%. He's always an injury risk. He could leave early, but um, Watkins averaged 6.8 targets in his four full games this season. He had seven-plus targets in three of those four games, so you give me six or seven targets from from Mahomes, I think you know that guy's worth taking a shot on as like a you know high-end wide receiver four, maybe even like a wide receiver three. Definitely. I agree with that. You play Patrick Mahomes wide receiver. And if he goes down, then he goes down. We still don't know what the shared backfield looks like. No Chiefs running back has topped eight carries since week six, which was before Le'Veon Bell entered the mix. No Chiefs running back has topped three catches since that week. Clyde Edwards Elaire did score in two of the of the three games since then, but that that's the work hasn't been there for either player. I mean, just about any other team, I would say avoid this situation, but because yeah. it's the chiefs, I think you take a shot on either one. I hope, I guess I should say, I, I said, we don't know what it looks like. I hope that we don't know what it looks like. Cause if it looks like this, the rest of the way, it's going to be an annoying situation. Yeah. The, the, the chiefs acquired Le'Veon Bell. Then they just like stopped running the ball completely. That's been the problem. There just hasn't been enough volume for the backfield in general over the last three games. Clyde Edwards-Alaire has outcarried Bell 19-16. to 16. CEH has 12 targets to Bell's four targets over those three games. So, elite, you know, the rookie has at least been the primary pass catching back still. Raiders bad against the run. If the Chiefs want to run the ball in this game, they'll have success. There's definitely upside. I would I would start Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Um, and then Le'Veon Bell is like a RB3. You're probably hoping for a touchdown out of him for him to pay off. On the Raiders side, I'll be very curious to see if we get a passing volume rebound here. Mm-hmm. The past three weeks have only seen 24, 23, and 25 pass attempts for Derek Carr, 165 yards or less in each of those games. The run rates have been 63%, 52%, 62% in those games. Back in the first meeting with Kansas City, though, we also had 52% run for the Raiders in a game they won and a game where they racked up 490 yards. So I will be curious to see if the Chiefs force them into more throwing in this game or if the Raiders are are able to slow it down and just keep doing things the way they have in recent weeks. Yeah, we should mention, too, that the Raiders have all those COVID concerns on defense. They have like eight guys that were, you know, in, in close contact with a positive test. So I think the Chiefs are going to score at will. So I think that should bump up. Carr's passing volume. He had that big game against the Chiefs in the first one. Last week, Derek Carr had three 
likely touchdowns dropped by uh, it was Waller, I think Ruggs and Nelson Aguilar all dropped um, would be touchdowns. So he, he's still playing well. He just hasn't had the volume. So I think it's definitely bounce back potential here for a car that that's that said, I mean the Chiefs remain a pretty tough pa- passing matchup despite what Carr did against them in that first game yeah certainly a better rushing spot and the Raiders are going to try to run the ball as much as they can in this yeah. in this one so but if you're looking down in the range of of Carson Wentz and Kirk Cousins Derek Carr certainly makes sense and he's probably in terms of a performance standpoint he's probably the safest bet to mm-hmm. perform solidly this week yeah I would lean Carr over Cousins and Wentz I think I would lean that way as well Otherwise, it's still just Darren Waller and Josh Jacobs here for me. And it basically, because the targets aren't there for the wide receivers and for the reason you just said, because they're good bets to drop passes at any point. Yeah, Henry Ruggs still hasn't topped five targets all season. He hasn't topped four targets since week one. Nelson Aguilar hasn't had, or he has one game with more than four targets all season. So the volume's just not there for those guys. Rams at Bucks to close it out on Monday night. Bucks by three and a half, over under a 48 and a half. I don't really like anything Rams in this game. Jared Goff has had his struggles at times against good defense. It hasn't shown up quite as much this year overall, but we've seen it enough, and he wasn't very good at Miami a couple weeks ago. So I would like to not use Jared Goff this week. He was fine last week against Seattle. He was just missing the touchdowns. Yeah, fine last week in a great spot. Um, But, I mean, I think this is his toughest spot of the season on the road against the Bucs. Tampa first in football outsiders past the – um, they're third in adjusted sack rate. They're fourth in PFF's pass rushing grade. And we know that's when Goff struggles is when he's pressured. That's continued this season. Um, he's 32nd among 35 qualifying quarterbacks in passer rating when under pressure. He's 31st among 35 in adjusted completion rate when under pressure. So I would want nothing to do with Jared Goff this week. And I think he got to downgrade his receivers because of that as well. Yeah, Robert Woods has been down recently anyway. The targets are okay, but the yardage has been awful, and he's trailing Josh Reynolds in usage lately. Yeah, I mean, Cup, Cup Reynolds, and Woods have been like the same guy over the last four games now. Um, you know, they're all within five in uh, pass routes run. Cup leads in targets, 42 targets to 32 for Reynolds to 29 for Woods, but Cup had that 20-target game against Miami that's really boosting him up, so... Um, I mean, I, I still prefer, I prefer cup in this matchup. He has the best matchup in the slot, although woods runs some routes in the slot too. So I, I would go cup woods Reynolds in this spot, but to me, cup and woods are like wide receiver threes just cause I don't, I don't expect the Rams passing game to have a lot of success here. Yeah. I think it might even be cup in, you know, wide receiver two, three border. And then Robert Woods outside of the top 36 for me, just because he hasn't been great. And I think this is going to be their, as you said, their worst passing matchup of the season. Josh Reynolds has been up, but not to the level of being exciting last week against Seattle was the first time that he's been over 60 yards all season. Just the second time that he's been over 46 yards. So I agree with you that Cooper cups, the top play because he's been playing more in the slot lately. He also took a dive in playing time last week, though, but I, that one's that one is an outlier at the moment. He still saw seven targets in that game. I mean, I think Reynolds is going to be usable in, in good spots down the road. I know the Rams get the Seahawks again in week 16, you know, fantasy championship week. So I think Reynolds will be usable there. Yes, I just added Josh Reynolds in a deeper league uh, this morning, but I would hope to not have to use him uh, this week. Yep. In the passing game, I think there's a little bit of upside to Tyler Higby and Gerald Everett if you are tight end needy this week, especially if Jared Goff throws a ton. I think there's a chance 
that we get a lot of Jared Goff pass attempts in this game. If the Bucs pull ahead and if they stop the running game, he did have those 61 attempts in that game against Miami recently. That's also the only time this year, though, that he has reached 40 pass attempts. He's had six other games of 33 or fewer. Yeah, Tampa definitely weaker against tight ends than wide receivers. Football Outsider says the Bucks 27th in tight end coverage. And, and Higby saw six targets at last week. He still ran a route on only 49% of Goff's dropbacks, though. Gerald Everett was at 42%. So it's still a tight end committee here. Um, I would prefer Higby among the two. But I mean, to me, Higby is still just a tight end, too. You know, I would prefer like Kyle Rudolph over him pretty easily if Irv Smith is out. And they like Gerald Everett near the goal line too. Tyler Higby almost caught another. He did have one deep catch and he almost had another deep catch. So, I mean, it could have had a, a bigger game there. It did set a season high in yardage, but, you know, they're both boom bust plays with a lot more bust potential, I think. And then the backfield had a Ravens-like split against yeah. Seattle. It, it looks like they were great because we had three touchdowns, two by Malcolm Brown and one by Daryl Henderson. But Cam Akers led the group in carries. He was the first one on the field. He and Henderson were kind of alternating series as that first running back in. And then Malcolm Brown was working in throughout the game and ended up leading the group in playing time. Yeah, and Brown led the group in routes run. He led the group in targets. He, you know, he, He's been their primary passing down back for most of the season. So yeah, I mean, it is, it is a Ravens situation. The matchup's obviously brutal against the Bucs, who are one of the best running back defenses, both on the ground and in the passing game. So this is a definite avoid for me, if possible. Definitely. On the Bucs side, it's a tougher matchup all around than they had last week against Carolina. Rams eighth in defensive DVOA, ninth against the pass, uh, 12th against the run. Stingier at home, though, than on the road this season, which normally you'd be like, okay, I guess that makes sense. But it's kind of surprising with no crowds in most places. So I don't know how much the advantage matters in either spot. On the road, the Rams have allowed big fantasy lines to Josh Allen and Jimmy Garoppolo. So Tom Brady's down further in our rankings than he probably would normally be coming off a week like he had last week, but he's still comfortably inside the top 12. Are you worried about old man Brady playing another night game? Because he's been he's been bad in his three uh, night games so far this season. <laughs> Honestly, I hadn't even gotten to that. Yeah, uh, the, the Bucks are one and two in their three primetime games. They've averaged 15.6 points per game in those. Um, Brady had 251 in a score against Chicago, 279 and two against the Giants. And then he had that dud, obviously against the saints um bruce arian said they're, they're changing up their routine this week they're going to practice at night to you know try to try to get old, old Tom body clock adjusted so we'll see how it goes there you go it's all about biorhythms so yeah i think they'll have it right at this week <laughs> so yeah brady's down a little bit mike evans likely gets the most of jalen ramsey this week we'll see whether it's a shadow though i think it's a downgrade for evans but he was getting worked like he was the number one bucks receiver last week against the panthers so i mean if they work him like that, and there, there's no guarantee, maybe that was that specific game, but it at least keeps Mike Evans in starter territory, I think. Yeah, Evans leads uh, the Bucks receivers with 17 targets over the last two weeks, you know, since Antonio Brown arrived. Um, I do think he'll see the most of Ramsey. That Darius Williams on the other outside corner spot for the Rams has been really good this season. The best matchup um, here is in the slot against Troy Hill, and Chris Godwin still remains Tampa's primary slot receiver, 74 slot snaps for Godwin over the last two weeks. Mike Evans has worked inside a bit more. He has 40 routes or 40 snaps in the slot over the last two weeks. Antonio Brown with just nine. So I actually prefer Godwin among these guys in this matchup. I'd go Mike Evans two and Antonio Brown three. Yeah, I think I would go with that as well. Antonio Brown has been third among these Bucks wideouts in playing time through two games by a decent margin behind the other two. But 
He's also getting targeted on a higher percentage of his routes than Chris Godwin, basically tied with Evans in that category. They're both right about 21%. Godwin's been about 14.5%. It's just two games. So, I mean, that could very well swing widely in this game if we get a Chris Godwin game. They're all really in usable territory, and I think they all fall short of being exciting fantasy options this week. Yep, Tom Brady does love himself some Antonio Brown, so not surprising that you know he has the highest uh, target per route rate. Rob Gronkowski remains a solid play. I mean, I don't have any any numbers down for it. Even it's just a, a garbage position, and he's been not garbage. Yeah, still a good touchdown bet. We, we talked about his route rate sinking in that Saints game. It was back up to seventy five percent last week. Um, he does have only nine targets in the last two games. You know, since Antonio Brown arrived, that's a twelve percent target share. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, he stays around like 12 to 15% the rest of the way. Um, but again, I, I still think Gronk is the guy that, you know, along with Mike Evans that, that Brady's looking to in the red zone. And we know that Gronk likes to party and he's been on New Year's Eve coverage on Fox. So I'm not worried about his biorhythms for a night game. <laughs> oh, yeah, he, he, he thrives at night. <laughs> you got to play Ronald Jones after the game he had last week. But overall, he's definitely a sell because that was an outlandish game versus the rest of his season. Yeah, I mean, it, it was nice to see the Bucks stick with him after the early fumble. Like, I, yeah. I thought he, I thought he was done for the day at that point. They stuck with him, and he, he paid off. Um, you know, he, he's been, he's been the first guy in, in, in for all these games. Um, it's just, you know, if he struggles or if they fall behind, Fournette's still the primary pass catching back. But you know, Jones definitely the best bet for carries. Um, this is like a, a middling matchup against the Rams. I, I think he's okay. Just you know, don't don't expect uh, anything close to what we got last week. Yeah, the previous three games or so certainly did not look anything like that in terms of the workload split and the playing time. But uh, it's at least nice to know that that upside's there and that he can help. That's going to do it for this Week 11 preview edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to see our full Week 11 rankings as, as well as the final buy-sell-hold report of the year. You can also use the Strength of Schedule pages for each position on DraftSharks.com to help get your roster set for a run through the fantasy playoffs. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShaufDS. That's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us.